We are geek-centric, and you can be too. Welcome to the Geekcentric Podcast. My name is Nate, and in this episode, we change things up just a little bit as we catch up and talk about the latest news and trailers, as well as talk about what we've been enjoying in a giant whatcha as our topic of the show. But first, if you're joining us for the first time, this is a weekly show covering the world of film, television, gaming, toys, and collectibles, and all things Geekcentric. Joining me on the show, we have... The willfully wild and wacky weed-loving what-you-wonder-boy, Justin. Damn right I'm a weed-loving wonder-boy. <laughs> wonder-boy. Wonder-boy. Wonder yeah, there you go. Uh, and not too far on a screen next to him, joining us on his wonderful western wagon f- full of waffles, ready to walk us through his whatcha, we have the waxed one-eyed wallaby, Kevin Hudson. Well, I mean, I, I'm more of a pancake man myself, but uh, <laughs> yeah. waffles, waffles can be good. Really? Pancakes over waffles? Yeah, I don't I'm, know I wouldn't why. have expected that. I would yeah. go either way. I need a crunch on Anyways, how are you guys doing tonight? You guys doing okay? Doing well. Good, man. Good. Doing well, doing well. Double I'm vaxxed, feeling a little... ready to re-enter the world. Yeah, so wait, so when did that happen for you? Uh, that was yesterday for me. Yesterday, okay, and then I just got my second dose today, literally hours ago, and I'm feeling a little... A little woozy, a little tipsy, but you're saying it hits you harder the next day. I was a little bit fatigued today, I found. I was a little bit, you know, especially in the afternoon, it just sort of felt like, you know, where's my energy gone? And my yeah. arm's a little stiff, but I learned from the first one, so I, I've been hydrating a lot and lots of arm movement and exercises to okay. keep it going, and it was a lot better, so. Cool. Yeah. I've got my water, so I'm ready. Justin, you just have to, we got to get you in, buddy. What are we, <clears throat> what are we doing? I, I get to book on Friday, so. Amazing. Right. Cool. Sweet. Okay. Well, listen, um, today's episode is going to be structured a little differently. Uh, and that's actually been because it's, it's actually been some, quite some time since we've sat down for a regular episode like this. And it's for good reason, because we've now been able to work with Disney Plus Canada to provide you, our listeners, reviews for the latest Disney Plus content, sometimes early, but always on time from now on. So we are so excited. Uh, and we hope you're excited as well. And, and we can't wait to talk to you about all the exciting things we have planned for this podcast exciting. going forward. Uh, very exciting. I'm very excited. We've got a lot of really cool stuff. Justin, you were even just telling me uh, earlier today about some things that we're going to talk about after the podcast yes. uh, that we're going to be potentially reviewing in the near future. So I'm very, very stoked for that. Uh, but listen, with all that good news, let's head into the news. It's all about the details. All right. First on the news docket, uh, just a little tiny. This isn't really even that much news, but uh, I thought I'd go over it. Disney Plus original series will now release on Wednesdays, not Fridays. This from Joe Porter at The Verge. Uh, From July, all of Disney Plus global original series will now be released on Wednesdays rather than Fridays, according to The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, The change has reportedly been made to give the service's increasing number of original TV TV shows more space in the schedule, while the the service's originals... Sorry. While the service's original movies will continue to release on Fridays. 
Disney has announced a number of new premiere dates following the change, uh, with most now releasing a few days later than previously planned. For instance, Monsters, Inc., uh, the spinoff Monsters at Work, uh, will now release on Wednesday, July 7th, rather than July 2nd, and, while Turner and Hooch has shifted from July 16th to July 21st. Um, the first Disney Plus show to have premiered on a Wednesday was Loki, which was reportedly the service's most watched premiere. Uh, Wednesdays are now the new Fridays, uh, as quoted uh, Tom Hiddleston, apparently. Um, now, that's actually in contrast to previous series like WandaVision, and Falcon and the Winter Soldier and The Mandalorian, which released on Fridays, which were actually in competition with Netflix's and Amazon's new releases. Mm -hmm. uh, the Hollywood Reporter notes that Fridays have historically been seen as the worst times to premiere new shows huh. on linear TV networks. So, guys, what do you think of this changeup? Does it make sense? And how does it affect your watching schedule, if at all? Justin. I don't think it affects my watching schedule. Uh, it's nice, though, that they're trying to think of like how to spread these things out, you know, reserve movies for, for Fridays, TV shows, you know, for Wednesday. And, uh, you know, that being said, it is streaming. So it's really at the end of the day, it's you watch it when you when you can watch it. Right. Uh, if you can't watch it right away, you're going to watch it the next day or, or maybe days after. So, you know, it, it doesn't really change the schedule, but I can see why the strategy might be beneficial to them or, you know. It might but I mean, for some of their... I agree with you, Justin, but for some of those like really big series, um, you know, there's a lot of people that they work uh, during the week and they, they aren't able to watch these shows necessarily when they premiere. And I know we've talked a lot about spoiler culture and how that's kind of um, shifted since streaming has come along. So, you know, with a lot of these shows, it's like you, you want to be on, on the ball. You, you're going to almost have to watch it right as soon as it comes out at three in order to watch it on time now. Kevin, what do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, I totally get where they're they're coming from, you know, from a strategy standpoint. But um, I, I thought you were going to go there and then didn't quite, Nate. Um, I mean, I know for me, some of these shows are almost like, you know, the sort of thing you like to get together with your usual group of people that you might watch, say, the Marvel stuff sure. with. And that's a yeah. lot more difficult to sort of arrange on a Wednesday night than it would be on a Friday sure. when sure. maybe make it a bit more of a destination. You hang out a bit after and stuff. So, I mean, that's that's a very selfish sort of viewpoint I'm taking on that. And I mean, like they said, I believe the movies are still going to be that big Friday night event. So it makes sense for them to spread it out yeah. and not just with their own content, but from other distributors. So I totally get where they're coming from here. Yeah, I think I think from a business standpoint, it does make a lot of sense. But I, yeah, I mean, we're literally just talking about all of us getting double vax, and it's like we could start, you know, getting the backyard, you know, get this projector screen up, the barbecue going, and uh, it might not happen as often on Wednesday nights. But you know what? I mean, we're geeks; we'll make anything happen. Exactly. So we'll, we'll figure yeah. it out. We'll figure it out. Uh, speaking of geeks that can make anything happen. Uh, some geeks um, from uh, from from uh, New Line Cinema and Warner Brothers uh, have been working on something, and uh, I'm pretty stoked about it. So uh, this is a bit of older news that we I, I just had to bring up because you know Lord of the Rings is something that I think we've talked about quite often on our podcast. So um, Lord of the Rings animated movie, The War of Rohirrim, in the works. Uh, this is from James White at Empire. Uh, while the recent focus of Lord of the Rings attention has been on the sprawling Amazon TV series that digs into the story's deeper past, uh, which is known to be a, a big screen to the world of J.R.R. Tolkien's work, um, has been quietly planned now by New Line Cinema and Warner Bros. Uh, a new standalone anime film called The Lord of the Rings, The War of Ro the Rohirrim, is now in development. 
anime filmmaker veteran Kenji Kamiyama is on board to direct working from a script from the Dark Crystal, the Age of Resistance writers, Jeffrey Addis and Will Matthews. Uh, The story will depict the bloody saga behind Helm's Deep, the fortress depicted in the Two Towers, and the man whose honor it is named after, uh, Helm Hammerhand. Uh, the legendary king of Rohan, who spent much of his reign locked in a prolonged and costly war. While Peter Jackson isn't working on this one, the aim is to connect it uh, is for it to connect in some way to his two trilogies with Philippa Boyens, uh, who worked on both sets of the different movie scripts, present as a consultant. There will, however, be no link to Amazon's effort. Uh, but given you know more the mere presence of the show, Warner Animation has this on a fast track with production and voice casting already underway. So I know I'm very stoked about this. And Kevin, I know you know anime isn't usually your jam, so I wanted to kind of throw it to you. I want to know what do you think about this uh, new story built from the world of Tol- Tolkien? Uh, I mean, uh, you know, we're we're we're, we're also encroaching into uh, prequel territory here. So you know, <laughs> right, it's um, like a double, but I mean, double negative. As somebody who you know sort of really fell into the whole mythology of Lord of the Rings because of the movies, and then you know understanding that there's a immense world far beyond those that Tolkien created. And then I went and tried to read the, uh, some of the earlier books that depicting those times. And that was a, that was about a chapter <laughs> or two before I went, I don't think I'm going to be able to do right. this. So any chance I can get to sort of dive deeper into this world uh, that isn't reading what I wouldn't consider the most entertaining uh, writing style, I think is, sure. is great, but I'm certainly, if I'm looking forward to one of the two projects, uh, it would be the live action um, okay. one more more than the animated one, I think. Interesting. Justin, I know you and I are, are big on the animation front. What do you think of this news? I, I'm excited for it. I, I think I think the most interesting part is that, you know, Lord of the Rings has such a mythology and lore to it that, that we're, we're all aware of. And we might not have read it, but we know that it's there. Um, and it's just such a missed opportunity not to try to tell some of those stories in, in other ways. Uh, you know, you have things like Game of Thrones that's done such a great job. Uh, it's obviously more current. It's, you know, it's it's not as old as, as Tolkien's tales. Uh, but, you know, they've done such a great job with mixed media, with the animation as well side, to kind of round out and tell more of the stories in and around each of the families and the houses. And that helps build that lore that much more. So I think this is great that they're capitalizing on it. I think that it's cool that they're telling like an offshoot story that doesn't directly but may sort of directly you know tied to the original trilogy you know an anime come on that's gonna be awesome i'm stoked like i'm stoked to see it because it's uh, even from the what they're you know what they're saying in the in the original article here in in terms of being a bloody uh they said it was a a bloody saga uh behind helm's deep i just you know i think two towers is kind of a more underrated uh, of the Lord of the Rings films. I know for some people it's their favorites, but for a lot of people they prefer Return of the King. Um, and I'm just stoked to see kind of where that all started. And and I also, I'm just kind of excited to see more Western properties come out in this style, right? You know, we've got the new Star Wars Visions uh, also going to be coming yeah. to Disney Plus uh, later this year. And so I'm just kind of, I don't know, I'm, I'm stoked that we get more and more sort of modern anime uh, with the stuff that we love. Yeah, and I, I think that that's the evolution of anime, right? It is effectively influenced Western properties now. You know, it's built its its own sort of history and its its background, yeah. and now it's it's finding its way. I'm really excited to even see something like uh, the Masters of the Universe, the Kevin Smith, right? Looks like fantastic. on Netflix, like that looks amazing, and that has a very anime inspired style. 
Yeah, yeah, very classic, uh, yeah. original, very colorful, uh, and and definitely from that trailer that they put out for that very eighties. But yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, man, I'm I'm stoked for this for as well, anime, like, man. Absolutely, just animated properties in general, and yeah. and you know, I I just I can't wait for the next Avatar series, and I'm just gonna say that any chance I get. Uh, but let's move on to the next news story here. Uh, Cruella sequel in the works at Disney, according to the Hollywood Reporter and Aaron Couch. Uh, as Cruella heads into its second weekend, The Hollywood Reporter has learned that the studio behind the Emma Stone starer is in development on a sequel. Uh, Cruella director Craig Gillespie and screenwriter Tony McNamara are expected to return. Cruella debuted May 28th simultaneously in theaters and on Disney Plus under the streaming service's premiere access tier, and the film has earned $48.5 million globally. Uh, it received positive reviews and has been pra- praised for its 1970s punk rock aesthetic uh, and currently sits at 97% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Disney has found success mining its library of beloved animated features for live-action remakes and spin-offs, and the studio isn't done yet. It also has live-action re- reimaginings of Pinocchio, Peter Pan and Wendy and The Little Mermaid in the works. Uh, So I've made my thoughts very clear uh, that I did not want a sequel to this movie during our review. Uh, But what do you guys think, you know, we should expect from the sequel? Justin? I agree. I don't want a sequel, but, you know, they're going to do it because money. It's money. Right. And and if (laughs) the movie did well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I just hope that the way this was approached or handled was, okay, we could do a sequel. Let's go back to the director and writer and see if they actually have something that they could do as a sequel before we actually you know, say something. And they may, may have said, you know what? We actually do have a story we could tell as a part two to this Cruella. If that's how it's handled, then, you know, and the director and the writer have, have good, good choices and ambition to like tell a story, then I, I'm, I'll be behind it. I'll definitely check it out. But if this is just for the purpose of of trying to milk this for for more, then it, it's it's no, it's just done, you know. Yeah, I'm I'm totally uh, in agreement with both of you. Uh, didn't want it, don't think it's necessary. But if you're going to do it, I hope it's because there's a story worth telling, and they're not forcing a story just for the sake of some some theatrical release money. Um, and I I hope that if they are going this way, that maybe this is like a middle story that we get between the, the prequel that we just got and sort of where the character winds up in the the, the, the older stories of Corella DeVille in the 101 Dalmatians that we're, we're familiar with. Hopefully, maybe it'll fill in some of those questions that we were left asking at the end of the movie that was supposed to sort of set all those up. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, find, I kind of feel like, to your point, Kevin, like I, I hope if it is a good story that it is something that does sort of um, respond to like you know we we definitely had some of our criticisms in our review around that just in terms of how it did feel very disconnected from the original uh, animated film so yeah it, it would be really cool but like I don't know Justin like the directors and writers of you know uh, Alice through the Looking Glass and Maleficent Mistress of Evil also thought they had good stories to tell and there was money to be made there and those did not pan out at all yeah i i feel like there has been conversations like when we were doing the the review i had mentioned that emma thompson and emma stone had were discussing if they did a sequel or if there was the opportunity to do a sequel for it to be very godfather to ask and i i just i think that's interesting especially approaching it from the same sort of mentality but you know it's it's two females so yeah i think that that's interesting to see if so, they so we'll call like it that. godmother godmother there you go <laughs> I, I can't wait for Godmother coming to Disney Plus. Um, cool. All right. Well, you know, speaking of streaming services uh, and 
um, some odd decisions. Uh, Steven Spielberg's Amblin Partners in Deal to Make Movies for Netflix. Uh, this broke over at Deadline, where Mike Fleming Jr. Uh, writes up a wonderful article that I recommend everyone go and click on and read through the whole thing. Um, I'm going to read as little of it as I possibly can while still giving as much information as I can. Uh, so strap in here. What a difference two years and a global pandemic make. Steven Spielberg, who a couple years ago uh, was quoted drawing a clear line between theatrically theatrically released films and streamer films, has birthed his Amblin uh, Amblin Partners into a partnership with Netflix that will cover multiple new feature films per year. The Netflix deal will coexist side-by-side with the one Spielberg and Amblin uh, have at Universal Pictures. Neither will have first shot at Amblin properties. Spielberg will make some films for Universal and others will be made for Netflix. Uh, The expectation is that Amblin will generate multiple films per year for Netflix, uh, which has a voracious appetite for content and releases a new film per week. Amblin's Universal deal was extended last December, uh, at which time comments reflected the possibility that a streaming deal might be in the offing. Uh, Said Amblin Partners Chairman Spielberg on Monday in a quote, At Amblin, storytelling will forever be the center of everything we do. And from the minute... Uh, from the minute Ted and I started discussing a partnership, it was abundantly clear that we had an amazing opportunity to tell new stories together and reach audiences in new ways. This new avenue for our films, alongside the stories we continue to tell with our longtime family at Universal and our other partners, will be incredibly fulfilling for me personally since we get to embark on it together with Ted. Uh, and I can't wait to get started with him, Scott, and the entire Netflix team. Uh, Stuber, Netflix's head of global film, said in another quote, uh, we look forward to working with Stephen, Jeff, and the entire Amblin family on a new slate of films that will delight generations and get this for years to come. Uh, so guys, this is, this is, this is pretty big news, especially for Netflix. Um, what do you guys think of this sort of somewhat crazy change in opinion, uh, from Mr. Spielberg? And do you think he'll be more successful in this deal than Adam Sandler was? <laughs> uh, I mean, producers generally do tend to take, uh, you know, a bigger cut of movies than than actors do in, in a lot of instances. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean, and any chance, you know, to I mean, I think like a Netflix release is almost safer for a movie you don't think is going to bring in four hundred million dollars at the box office. Right. Um, but I mean, that said, I don't think, you know, any of Spielberg's movies that Amblin releases are going to be the ones that go to theater. Right. Mm, and just looking okay. looking at the movies that they've released over the last few years, I'm not seeing the type of movie I can see going to a Netflix, you know, your your Jurassic World franchise and your Indiana Jones is coming up. That's, you know, one that they've got on the slate coming out. So I, I'm not sure. I, I guess they're going to just start developing more movies to sort of yeah. fill out that void. So, yeah, it's just crazy how the tables have turned, though, like. Now that Netflix has reached 25 billion, you know, in annual revenue, I just, you know, it's it's just I wonder if if the only thing I wonder though is like will would he consider the movies that he his own Amblin Studios puts out on Netflix to be worthy of Academy Awards? Um I just I don't know. I just feel like it's it's such a, a interesting turnaround from, you know, what he was saying uh, you know, back a couple of Academy Awards ago. 
Yeah, and I think that that's he's just going where the money is, right? Like he's right. a filmmaker and he wants to tell stories and he wants his profitability of his studio to to succeed, right? Because then he will succeed, right? Like I'm not saying he that's that's the entire motive, but I think that you know you can have an opinion and then suddenly learn new factors and have that <laughs> yeah. opinion changed. The reality is is that I think he's starting to see that there's there's no there's no stopping them, right? They are right. their own sort of content. You know whether he has the opinion if they should be worthy of Academy Awards. I don't think that's up to him, right? And you know, but I mean, part of the he's part of the Academy, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it is a question to all of a sudden, you know, you're you're at one point saying a movie going to a streaming service shouldn't be worthy of uh, an Academy Award nomination, but then what does he say? When it, you know, oh, what is he just a superior artist and he can make that transition work, you (laughs) know? Uh, And with Scorsese, it works with, you know, I think Netflix was the perfect way to distribute a four hour movie was to do it over a streaming service, right? Like how many people would have seen um that movie what was it called da, 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 da. irishman yeah i would have seen it in theaters i probably would have enjoyed it i would have enjoyed it more in theaters than i did in the streaming because of the the actual experience of like i'm sure Maybe if there was an intermission, intermission and yeah. you sure. know what i mean like I, I do think though that for for the filmmakers that do make those comments i think it comes from the idea of having your movie screened in a theater that's the validation for them that they get for me and for us as we discuss this what we think is celebrating what made those movies. That's what the Academy Awards is about. It's not about the movies mm. that were screened in theaters, right? It's no longer about that, right? right? So, you know, the theater system and being part of the theater distribution and, and how movies are are experienced, that's to them the gold standard of of the what the Academy Award should be stood for. But that's just not it. You know, you got to adapt, you got to change. And, and I, maybe this is, this is the first sign that Steven Spielberg is adapting and changing to the times. And, you know, um, a follow up question here, guys, like not necessarily, you know, based on, you know, where where films are going to come from, whether through Amblin or directly through him or uh, I just want to know what kind of what kind of Spielberg movies would you want to see on a Netflix? You know, would you would you would you really want to enjoy, you know, obviously not a four hour movie, but like what what kind of do you think we're going to get a Jaws? Are we getting a sequel to E.T.? Uh, do you think he'll let any of those properties uh, on Netflix? I mean, I can see some of his work like, uh, let's say, you know, The Post or Bridge of Spies. Right. That type of right. movie would work um, on on a Netflix. But, you know, I think Spielberg's a little bit more known for the big blockbuster style movies that he does as well. You know, and recently, you know, even something like the BFG had to be a theater movie that that met, was meant to be, you know, Ready Player One. Those are the actual release yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I also think though like to your point kevin if they're looking at it at a, as a strategy of what movies they put out that are theater experiences and what movies might not pull in a huge amount of money in a theater release but would do really well in a streaming platform that's how emblem's changing their thinking process they're saying not everything needs to go straight to theaters because we're not going to may- maybe necessarily yield any earnings off of that right where right. we know these big theatrical experienced movies they will do that so you know i think they're again they're just adapting to this this platform the kinds of movies that i would like to see are more of the space adventure sort of style like i i do like those stories uh that that emblem tends to do so like the et or the super eight or you know um very very much that sort of uh nostalgic goonies those sort of adventure stories i think would do really well on netflix and like you know look at stranger things 
it's basically an yeah. emblem sort of but way darker <laughs> pretty much is yeah. yeah yeah you're not wrong yeah so maybe you know maybe you'll uh maybe it'll encourage him to look at potentially even a series because uh, he's already got that series on apple tv plus amazing stories so um it would be interesting to see if he also brings some of uh some shows uh, onto netflix but guys that is it for the news uh nice nice tight uh, new segments there, not too bad. Uh, well, we got let's move long on the tooth on that last one. <laughs> Maybe that last one, but that one's that's an important. That's a, that's a big. Yeah, that's no, a big sure. deal for Netflix. Um, but guys, let's let's move into uh, trailer time. It's trailer time. All right, so we got a, a just just a, a little a, a trio of trailers uh, to talk about uh, this evening. Uh, we're going to start with one that came out relatively recently, um, starting with The Shrink Next Door. Uh, this is directed by Michael Showalter, uh, who also directed The Big Sick and Lovebirds. It's starring Will Ferrell, Paul Rudd, Catherine Hahn, and Casey Wilson, uh, and it's inspired by true events. Uh, the Shrink Next Door is described as a dark comedy following the bizarre relationship between psychiatrist uh, to the stars, Dr. Isaac Ike Herpschkopf and his longtime patient, Martin Marty Markowitz. Uh, those are some names. Um, <laughs> this series lands on Apple TV Plus on November 12th, 2021. Um, I want to know, guys, what did you think of this uh, very interesting looking uh, trailer with uh, Will Ferrell and Paul Rudd? Yo, I'm 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 tickled pink, man. I, this thing looks looks great. It looks definitely yeah. different for for both of them, while still feeling somewhat familiar. And Paul Rudd, uh, he looks like he's he's devilishly mischievous, right? Like it's kind yeah. of interesting to see Paul Rudd as like the bad guy. Yes, and I think he's having so much fun with yeah. it. You can tell yeah. he's having a ton of fun with it. I'm intrigued. Kevin, I'm glad. Think? I'm glad I don't know much about it though. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it starts off and it's got just such this positive vibe and the music. And, you know, you're seeing Paul Rudd in a familiar looking character and Will Ferrell. There's a great moment where he's he's sort of making a breakthrough in his character. And it just seems like classic old school, 100 percent Will Ferrell. And then the trailer kind of takes a huge turn. Um, So I think uh, the three main leads there, uh, they're all so terrific. And, you know, anytime you know, you can see them uh, in a movie, let alone one where they're going to sort of be playing something a little different, especially when it comes to Paul Rudd. I think that's just always an exciting thing to see. Yeah, for sure. I love that you pointed out too how the trailer really kind of sets up as like a traditional Will Ferrell, Paul Rudd style comedy. And then right in the halfway point, sort of in the middle of this trailer, when the music starts to shift and things start to look darker, the cuts become harder. It starts to really tell like, oh, this isn't this isn't their usual comedy sort of thing, right? They're Judd apatow sort of, you know, brotherly yeah. sort of comedy. So this is going to be different. And I love seeing, I love seeing Will Ferrell um, you know, it's so different than Anchorman, right? Because Will Ferrell is very much, obviously he's the leading man in Anchorman and, and Paul Rudd isn't, but but it, it feels very flip-flopped, you know what I mean? We've got Will Ferrell in this very submissive role and like so much so that you see... <laughs> You see the first moment where he's sitting down in the office and there's just a tree there like with some branches that are like touching his face and he he tries to move away from them but he doesn't quite have enough like strength or energy just to like move to the other chair like I'm just so stoked to see his character change and I'm stoked that this is a series as well and not just a a movie or a show and I don't know how many episodes there's going to be but um you know anytime you can get Paul Rudd and Will Ferrell you know, not necessarily in a comedy, but like in a dramedy, 
Um, I just can't 100%. wait for it. I can't yeah. wait to see them acting together in something other than Anchorman and uh, and to see them play off each other. It's just, it looks like it's going to be a lot of uh, sort of dark fun. Um, so that's really cool. Uh, speaking of maybe some uh, some dark fun and, and also some characters that could really use some time with a psychiatrist, uh, the third trailer for James Gunn's The Suicide Squad uh, was released. Uh, of course, this is directed by James Gunn. Get ready for this. Starring Margot Robbie, Joel Kinnaman, Idris Elba, John Cena, Michael Rooker, Viola Davis, Pete Davidson, Nathan Fillion, Jai Courtney, Michaela Hoover, Alice Braga, David Desmalchian, Taika Waititi, Flula Borg, Sean Gunn, and of course, Sylvester Stallone as King Shark. Um, this is, of course, going to be a story about supervillains, you know, Harley Quinn, Bloodsport, Peacemaker, uh, and a collection of nutty cons at Belle Reve Prison who join together to, uh, to form a, a, a secret shady task force uh, known as Task Force X. Uh, and they, uh, they have to, they're dropped off at a remote enemy-infused island of, of Corto Maltese. Although I do think that that is probably going to be maybe the first half of this movie. This trailer gave us a lot more uh, from... The, the movie and definitely even a little bit more of a dramatic tone than we're, we're used to, at least for the beginning portion of the trailer. Uh, Kevin, what, what did you think of uh, this tra- this third trailer of, uh, of this, this really cool looking movie? I mean, I didn't I didn't want to watch it. And I honestly probably yeah. wouldn't have watched it if it wasn't for, you know, uh, doing this, doing this to, to give my <laughs> yeah. thoughts on it. just because, you know, it, it does feel like we're seeing an awful lot of the movie by this third trailer, especially because they've been different. And so they're they're they're, they're not just rehashing the same clips in a different order they're giving like this was almost an entirely new set of clips with almost with very little to almost no uh repeated clips from that second one which was was uh, so i mean it shows and and it even if this was the first trailer i i saw and this is all i had to go on i'd want to see this movie so (laughs) totally i think it speaks volumes to Maybe there really is just a full, awesome movie waiting to be seen, you know, but I don't want to see any more of it. Please, please. Yeah, no we more. won't watch trailer four. We won't watch, we won't watch trailer four. There will be no reaction. Like, I just to hope we four. haven't seen all the good one liners and, and, and gag bits. You know, I just hope for sure there's more there. This is what Warner does. They do the the preliminary teaser that really gets people hyped. And then as it gets closer to like release, there's like that additional trailer that has like more of the story. More of like what what you're gonna see gives away way too much information. Um, I I think regardless though, James Gunn's behind it. He's super excited about it. It's gonna be a great movie. I don't think we've seen all the action pieces and how things are necessarily set up. But to your point, I think the the personal touch, like the humor, sort of back and forth nature, we we've seen a lot of that based on how much we've seen. What are you leaving really for for the movie, right? So hopefully it's it's pretty outstanding. Well, yeah, I mean, like they did another shot from, I don't know, the theater or auditorium where they're all sort of sitting there getting the big briefing. And we saw two new one-liners from that scene that we'd already seen two jokes from. And it's like, are you leaving anything for the movie? But you also have to wonder, like, you know, James Gunn's pretty smart with how he maybe releases some of these trailers. It's it's very possible we're getting one-liners that maybe we won't even get in the movie, right? And that's maybe how, yeah, how they can keep Marvel things tactic, fresh. Yeah, yeah. Right? Very yeah, Marvel. Ta- I mean, he's a Marvel director. And, okay. Yeah. And, like, speaking of, of you know, him being a, a Marvel director, like, so the trailer starts off with a much more dramatic tone, right, That than we, we've gotten with the other two trailers. And so seeing it focus on, on Bloodsport and Amanda Waller, it just, it gives me so much hope that this isn't just going to be silly jokes and fun at least we get that in the you know that's the majority of the trailer but at the beginning it feels like we're finally getting um like a confident dc movie 
and it, it's just funny that we had to wait for an MCU director to come in to make it. Uh, but I am, I'm so amped. And and technically, it does tie into the DCEU at large. Um, but it's it's not the same Superman because you hear that line where she's yeah. like shot Superman with a kryptonite bullet. Um, apparently, yeah, Bloodsport is in prison. Uh, for putting Superman into the ICU with a kryptonite bullet. But um, according to James Gunn in an IGN trailer breakdown, uh, it's not the same Superman. It's it's not Henry Cavill Superman. Uh, and he says, he says I, I don't know who, it, who it's going to be because other people other than me decide that. So, um, so, his, you know, so maybe- but he's, what he is confirming, though, is that his story ties into whatever they're going to do next. That's pretty cool. I mean, with multiverses, you can say whatever the heck you want at this point, yeah. right? So, um, But I also just wanted to shout out like a couple moments in the trailer, like, uh, Harley's Harley's new jacket. I don't know if you caught it, but there's like a brief flash, and you see what's on her back of her jacket it says "Live Fast, Die Clown," and I just think that's so funny with with Fast Nine coming up very soon. How they're sort of, you know, paying clear homage to that. Um, I love the moment with Pete Davidson sitting in the in the, and he's like, "Is this a dog? Is this guy a dog?" <laughs> it's like very clearly not a dog. Um, but I don't know, man. I, I just think the fact that the trailer can start with that dramatic scene with with Idris Elba and, and Viola Davis, these these actors that are just like incredible and then end with a butthole joke and a poop joke and I'm still amped for it. I mean, that says quite a bit about the writing for this movie. So I don't know, man. I'm so stoked. Do you guys have anything else you want to talk about for this? I'm hoping we get to see it in theaters. Yes. Oh, we'll August 24th we're in should be we should be in the clear at that point. So that'd be 100%, 100%. great. hundred percent. hundred percent. That would be, that would be a good go first movie to see in theaters. That's for sure. No more trailers. No more trailers. Uh, but Please. one more trailer for us. Uh, but that's not that's not uh, Suicide Squad. Uh, the last trailer we're going to talk about uh, is Only Murders in the Building. Uh, Kevin, you had kind of brought this up to our attention. Um, this is from series creators John Hoffman and Steve Martin, starring Selena Gomez, Steve Martin and Martin Short. Uh, and it's a it's a story about three strangers who share an obsession with true crime who suddenly find themselves caught up in a true crime uh, drama. Uh, this is going to have its series premiere on Hulu on my birthday. It's actually coming out. It's <laughs> happening on August 31st on my birthday. Um, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to have a watch party for this series for my birthday, I guess. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, very interesting. What do you guys think about this, uh, this, this latest uh, or this, this first look at uh, Only Murders in the Building? Kevin. Um, well, yeah. So this was on um, one of my. Uh, this is one of my uh, anticipated for this year when we did that that episode uh, back at the beginning of the year, uh, just because it it just from the description it reminded me of uh, a great early to mid '90s Woody Allen movie called Manhattan Murder Mystery. Uh, you know mm-hmm. where these two very fish out of water in terms. You know these two. Older people think that their neighbor has murdered his wife and they're, they become, you know, private eyes or sleuths trying to crack the case. <laughs> and I think that's very much what this is like. And seeing it now, it, it definitely gave me similar vibes to that. Uh, you know, I don't think Steve Martin or Martin Short have been particularly funny in the last <laughs> 10 years. But I also don't know if they've <laughs> no. had anything to work with. Right. And right. so it'd be, it's exciting to think that these two you know, comedy legends might have, you know, a, a solid piece of writing and, and direction and everything to, to work with here. And, and maybe they'll have a lot of fun with the, this, the, the, the work. And from the trailer, I mean, I'm not, I'm not getting total comedy vibes from it either. You know, very much like the shrink. Uh, what is it? What was the one we were just talking about? The shrink next door. Yeah. Uh, very much like the shrink next door. I, I got 
you know, dramedy vibes. I got very yeah. much, uh, there's going to be a couple of funny moments, but you know, I think it's, it's obviously, um, you know, it's giving me mad knives out vibes. It's obviously a yeah. whodunit, right? And I'm excited to, to see Martin Short and Steve Martin act together again. Honestly, I, I can't think of another movie that I have seen them act together in other than the three amigos. Um, so I'm very intrigued. Well, uh, you have to see too. the bride. Yeah. Oh, listen, yeah. I, that I've seen, you guys, that I've seen. Remember, <laughs> I don't watch movies, apparently. Um, but seeing <laughs> seeing Selena Gomez, I think that's just the right amount of odd casting that a project like this needs. Um, and so I'm, I'm personally really excited to check this out. Justin, how about yourself? Yeah, I like I said, I've, I've, I've said countless times I'm a huge fan of Father of the Bride 1 and 2. I love yeah. Steve Martin. I love Martin Short. I think this is such a interesting project to kind of do and so relevant in terms of fascination around true crime dramas and, and you know, podcasts that are true crime oriented. So, yeah. you know, I do agree, though, like Kevin, like uh, the one thing that was interesting is that they didn't come off very funny in this this trailer but i think to nate's point i think this is going to be like lighter on the humor more on the dramedy side right like it or you know it's just a total misdirect in this trailer but i mean i really hope it doesn't take itself too seriously this doesn't seem like a premise that i'd want that from you know you have to have a little bit of fun with it yeah and especially when you're martin short and you're steve martin who are known for comedy and you're attaching your name you know what people are coming to check out if you don't give them any sort of funny then they're gonna be like well what the hell was this you know what i mean so uh but it, it needless to say the casting choices are very interesting to have selena gomez with the two of them uh, it'll be interesting to see how that how she kind of uh you know acts with them and, and plays the part i'm just wondering how we're going to be able to watch this considering it's coming out on hulu i'm guessing we'll get it Disney with star yeah, yeah so we'll get it through star on disney plus and instead of getting all the episodes dropped at once we'll have to wait two months to watch the whole thing as star uh has been known to do yeah yeah, yeah I, I, I honestly that's the big thing too is yeah maybe we won't watch it on my wait this one doesn't come out on my birthday does it oh this is the one that does come out on my birthday but so yeah, one episode um, will you know but not all eight <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right all right well, well we'll figure it out we'll have to figure it out um but guys that is it for trailers uh let's get into our topic of the show So as I said uh, at the top of the show, it's been a while since we've we've sat down and discussed our thoughts on what we've been watching or playing lately. Um, so, you know, before we kind of get into our traditional whatchas, um, where we're going to kind of do a round table and, and, and you know, give a, a little bit in terms of what we've been watching or playing, um, something that we've all watched uh, that we really didn't get a chance to talk about, and I, I just wanted to kind of go over that first, um, was, uh, well, listen, I'll be there for you. <laughs> and uh, they were certainly there for us when we all watched the, f- <laughs> right? Get a little bit of, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, when we all watched the Friends reunion special. Um, so I thought we'd take just a, a brief moment just to talk about that. Um, I want to know, uh, whoever wants to jump in first here, what did you think of the Friends reunion? I, I personally loved it. I mean, I've seen some feedback where people weren't happy with certain things like, you know, celebrities that had nothing to do with the show being involved. Sure. If, if you either like James Corden or you hate James Corden more than you hate <laughs> any no entertainer on the planet. <laughs> yeah. um, for me, I, I don't mind him. So I thought he was a great host. He had the kind of enthusiasm that us as fans had watching these guys on on screen together for the first time in uh, in almost two decades, and so uh, you know, I thought the, the 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 pacing of it was really nice. You know, they they took it nice and slow, and we you could really feel how happy they were to all see each other back on the old set. 
and then it you know broke down into a little bit more fun and reminiscing and then obviously you know the big spectacle of the live audience for the sort of late latter half of the 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 show i i don't know i just i got goosebumps you know friends is still a show that if i you know fallen asleep and it's on comedy central i'll throw it on and watch an episode or two and you know it's just always there i've seen the episodes 10 times it's a it's an integral part of my life in that regard and so to see this i i thought they did a really great job with it yeah i was so i thought it was going to be exactly like the fresh prince uh reunion special but i'm i'm really glad it wasn't actually um like the trivia that they did was so good because that that very much felt like I was like, because I think a lot of people were hoping that this was going to be also an episode of Friends and that they were going to like be the characters. And so to see them do that trivia felt very much like they were their characters. You know, David Schwimmer was Ross in those moments. (laughs) Um, And so it was, I thought that was such a fantastic moment. I I really liked that a lot. Yeah, I I think that the best part about this reunion show was that it was more of a variety show. Um, it yeah. had the behind the scenes sort of retrospective look. It had the sit downs in front of the live studio audience. But yeah, like I like that the, it was it was just a variety show and it had the best of everything. And the sort of trivia moment was was to your point, Nate, sort of reliving the characters, if you will, uh, in, yeah. in a sort of situation that, uh, you know, many fans will know them from. Right. Well, and and I and I you're absolutely right, Nate. In that I think I do think a lot of people were sort of hoping that they might come back and do an eight episode sort of catch up on where these characters have been. But I think the actors themselves, as well as the creators and everyone responsible, said it perfectly well. I mean, we left these characters all in a great spot. So what something bad would have ha- almost had to happen to them in order to necessitate seeing them back together you know and so Mm. i I do think that they were wise in in almost leaving these characters where they were uh i'm really not sure some of these actors could play those characters again you know why did monica all of a sudden go get two million dollars worth of cosmetic surgery um you know uh like yeah i don't know if i I don't know if matthew perry can bring the same sort of chandler energy that he had the only one that works is Joey. He's just been eaten a lot, and it works perfectly. For, <laughs> it's finally caught up to him. I thought, dude, I thought Fat Joey was uh, – it, it, it took me a little while. It took me a little while to get used to, but then afterwards I was like, no, that makes perfect sense. And seeing uh, Carl, who plays the fake Joey, uh, and learning that I, – I had no idea that he was almost cast as Joey. Um, he was the, so the runner-up, yeah. which is so cool. Um, but, you know, I, I also want to just quickly shout out, you know, because you're mentioning these actors playing these characters again. Ross and Rachel's first kiss table read was incredible. And like, th- at least for them, I'm like, I could totally see them stepping right back into those characters because they absolutely did. And and the same thing with Phoebe. Like, oh, even Lisa seeing Kujo Phoebe did great getting into that. She oh, was she energy. Yeah. I think she did the best uh, <laughs> other than Ross. Like, uh, yeah, I, I actually like the table reads I thought were a little were a little odd, I thought, that was the odd part of the thing. But I, I enjoyed that they're trying to rel- like relive those moments. Of all the moments, though, I wouldn't have relived that one. You know what I mean? Like, mm. there's some great comedy dialogue between them that they could have relived rather than the first kiss. Like, to me, that's more about the experience of that moment as an episode rather than watching the table read of it, right? So I don't know, man. I still got chills. I still got chills from it. Uh, what did you guys think of the like reveal that uh, uh, David Schwimmer and Jennifer Aniston had a thing on set? I yeah, interesting. interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense, right? Like, how could you not 
Like, you know what I mean? At least with Jennifer Aniston, like she's just so. And then yeah, I man, forget. I think sense. it was Courtney Cox who said it's probably best that you never explored that. Uh, look at two actors like uh, Johnny Galecki and uh, Kaylee Cuoco from Big Bang Theory who right. met on the show had a f- several years long romance and then broke up and had to work together for five or six years in a very intimate role while also probably not being the biggest fans of each other. You know, I'm sure that could be an awkward place for not just you, but your coworkers. And so, you know, it was, it was the, the, the what if that sort of makes it special, but also didn't potentially ruin the dynamic that they had making that show. Yeah, so if any if any actors are listening, you almost want to time your relationships near the end of a series, <laughs> so that if you're if it doesn't work out, then hey, you know what, the show's ending, you can just get the heck out of there. <laughs> um, but yeah, anything, anything else you guys want to shout out about the reunion before we move on? No, I think that's it. I think it was uh, well done, well done, friends. Cool. Reunion. <laughs> uh, I can't wait for the I can't wait for the office reunion. Uh, yes. However many years that yes. is away from us, so uh, that's going to be fantastic. Um, but guys. Without further ado, I ask you, gentlemen, whatcha? Kevin, we're going we're gonna to start with you. If you want to go ahead and give us some honorable mentions uh, really quick and then give us one of your whatchas for our topic of the show. Yeah, because as you mentioned at the top of the, the segment, you know, it's been such a long time. Um, I actually had to think back at shows that I started <laughs> and finished. You know, yeah, since all in the same time. Um, yeah. One show that's uh, just started itself about three or four weeks ago now, uh, it's on Disney Plus, is MODOK. So uh, I've been enjoying it not as much as uh, I, I thought I would, but um, it is what it is. I, I, I'll watch a little Patton Oswalt anytime, so that's, you know. Um, another show, I've always wanted to watch it. I like my family Wednesday night style sitcoms, uh, but this one, it doesn't stream anywhere. Uh, so I've been watching it or recording it every morning at 9.30 a.m. on Comedy Central, uh, fresh off the boat. It's it's a great comedy. It's, the writing's actually pretty good for the style of sitcom that it is. Cool. Um, another one I, uh, uh, I watched, uh, or at least we got caught up on, so now we're watching it weekly on Sunday evenings. It's called uh, Black Monday. So it's set in the 80s. Uh, it's about uh, the stark, uh, stock market and a stock market crash. Yeah, uh, so it stars Don Cheadle, Andrew Reynolds, uh, Paul Shear. Um, and Regina Hall, uh, it's it's good. It's, it's very uh, dark, vulgar humor, which which I very much appreciate. And then finally, one more show that I checked out recently is uh, a very short little nine episode or eight episode in a movie series called Hello Ladies, starring uh, the wonderful Stephen uh, Merchant. Uh, I mean, this is that sort of office style, awkward situation humor. Uh, and yeah. you know, he's the, he was the king of writing it back in the day with Ricky and. And now he's uh, the starring role in it, and it's a lot of fun too. Very awkward, though. Very awkward. That's awesome. Very cool. Uh, yeah. So sorry to to go on there, but again, it's been so long. I won't spend too much time on this first one uh, that I want to talk a bit longer about, uh, just because Justin's mentioned these um, himself, uh, you know, in in passing. But I finally had a chance to sit down and watch the, uh, all of the A and E documentaries on uh, WWE superstars of the past, and so. Um, what a terrific, I hope they, they continue beyond the eight episodes they've done so far. Cause yeah. just a fantastic, the one I haven't these... watched yet is mankind. Oh, Mick uh, Foley. The Mick Foley one is yeah. maybe the best one. Okay. okay yeah. Cool. It's great. Yeah. His stories. I mean, just to find out these, I mean, I, I've read his autobiography, so I knew most of his story, here, but yeah. to, 
to see clips associated with these stories that I'd heard and everything. And just the fact that WWE went out and bought every wrestling promotion that's ever existed, essentially, just mm-hmm. lets anybody who works with them, either if, if they're doing it themselves or somebody's working in collaboration, it gives them access to literally everything that's ever happened in a wrestling ring. And so they're able to visually show such compelling stories because of all that content that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and as great as the stone cold one was, and you know, the ultimate warrior, some of your bigger names, it was, you know, I, I found the Booker T story to be really, really compelling and interesting. Right? And yeah. I was never a huge fan of him in the ring. Just, I thought he was a bit of a hokey cartoony yeah. character, but the man himself is, it's just so great to see these people outside of their characters talking about their passion for it. And you can see why they were the most successful at what they did because of that yeah. passion. Uh, that's good. I'm glad that you watched all of Yeah, I had to. Savages was okay. Like Macho Man was pretty good. Yeah, no, uh, it was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's sad when they're not around to sort of tell the stories themselves. But again, they have so yeah. much archival footage that it almost does feel like they, they, they can pull enough old interviews and stuff. Yeah. To, yeah. to tell these stories that, you know, you are getting their perspective as well as everybody else's. And it's a, it's a pretty good balance that they do in that regard. And they, this is a bit of a lighter look at it. And so the, what I'm watching next will be season three of Dark Side of the Ring, which is a far more tragic and that'll be uh, that'll be less entertaining, but no less informative and, and educational, I'm sure. Right. The dark Side. Well, well, uh, you know, funny that you mentioned uh, wrestling as as your as your watch. because actually my honorable mention, which is just one, not nine, um, is uh, <laughs> is uh, actually the uh WWE's most wanted treasures. Uh, so these these episodes have been structured like half hour, forty minute episodes that are very focused. Some of them have been really interesting. Others have been whatever. I wasn't as connected to those wrestlers, uh, but you know, still some cool collectible tracking that went into it. Uh, but the last two episodes uh, have been uh, featurettes about an hour and twenty minutes. Uh, first episode was uh, on Andre the Giant, which was absolutely like amazing and to your point kevin the archival footage like they actually stipulated like footage and and photos seen in this episode have never been seen before so they acquired some some very unique sort of stuff and just a really cool retrospective look at andre the giant's career so it was pretty cool it was it was it was a really cool sort of thing and the the last episode i just watched recently was about rick flair and getting some of his uh his robes and the the infamous black i hadn't seen those last two yeah Yeah, the black butterfly uh um robe that they they tracked down so i don't know this show's wicked from the retrospective of it being a behind the scenes of of the wwe and wrestling but also just as a collector like you know just looking for those collections and like how how tough it is to like find them and you know you know tracking them down like you know it's it's got a cool premise and concept to it that they're executing really really well yeah it's it's really neat and i definitely agree that um you know certain artifacts are a little bit more interesting based on whether you actually watched wrestling at the time a little bit more interesting than one of the many bags jake the snake would have used to carry around yeah, a that snake was game. yeah like, the jake the snake was a little was like, like okay, well, okay yeah. i'm like all right but then what's cool now is like the robes that they showed like they're like 50 60 000 like value like wow. rick flair's robes are are super pricey the story behind where this butterfly black robe is it's ridiculous like where they find it it's it's cool you'll you'll enjoy it so that's my honorable mention uh but the first thing that i want to talk about for what you um 
and I'm calling this like the five out of five trio that I got going on here. So all of these I'm giving five out of five right off the top. And the first thing is uh, the Mighty Ducks Game Changers. This show was so good. It brought back <laughs> all the nostalgia. <laughs> you didn't like it? I'll let you finish. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Well, okay, okay. somebody who like literally you know, grew up with these movies and not just I watched them a couple times. Like I probably broke my D2 VHS cassette. I put that, I watched that movie so many times, but looking back, cause we did a rewatch of the three movies, uh, you know, before watching the show, they aren't very good movies no. outside of elements of the first one. Yeah. The show is very kid friendly. So it's for a nostalgic purpose. It yeah. was great in yes. terms of good television. It was a, 2.2 in terms of writing sure. and sure know. but i'm also thinking of it as something as like cobra kai-esque right it's the nostalgia cobra kai is is golden globe emmy award worthy compared to has Game it won Changers. has it won it no but it, it would if, you know, if that was it <laughs> i just feel like i just feel like it, some people could say the same thing about something like cobra kai like you're saying about the game changers that's that's it really and and both are doing one thing that i think they they do really well is they know what they are and it is about bringing the nostalgia so that's kind of where the applaud kind of comes in and and, and for what they've done i know it's it's totally kiddish and and very childish but it's it's well casted each of the kids represents a kind of kid that we we would see today shaped by current times. You know, you have Lauren Graham, who's trying to be the independent mom, who's very protective of her child, but still wants to see their their kids succeed and, and have fun. Bringing in Emilio Estevez, like I, I don't know, like he was outstanding in the show. He, he was he was he was funny. He still had the Bombay charm, uh, and they they gave him a, a really interesting sort of, albeit they didn't flush it out too much, but like an interesting tension with his sort of disdain to not want to necessarily be the coach that everyone, meaning the viewers know who he can be uh, and, and lead this team. Uh, I really enjoyed this show. Um, it was a great job as a reboot. Uh, it continued the legacy of the Mighty Ducks while still telling new stories. And, and I think this is a message to have fun. And I think there's just a real nice sort of idea of connectivity in it. So I don't know. I, I give it five out of five quacks, bro. Like this thing was wow. was dope. I loved it. it was, five five I bought quacks. the jersey. I bought the old school, like 1990s Mighty Ducks jersey after I watched this episode. So I was, I, I loved it. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to see you wearing that. Uh, so, so you're definitely down for a season two, eh? A hundred percent. I hope they do it, and I, I hope they can they can tell some more stories. Well, um, it'd be great if they, you know, without the COVID restrictions, if they're able to bring back more of those, you know, classic characters, and they, it, it, I would gravitate to it a bit more. For sure. For sure. Very cool. Um, okay. I'll jump in uh, with some honorable mentions. I have 48 honorable mentions <laughs> I'm going to go through. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I, uh, you know, I've always got a game that I'm playing on, you know, my main consoles, and then I've got a game on the go when I'm at work. Uh, and so I'll just quickly shout out the at work game. Uh, I've been playing a lot of Oli Oli on Switch. I don't know if you guys know about Oli Oli. It's a side-scrolling skateboarding game, uh, and it's very, very, very difficult um and uh and one and two are currently on sale as a collection right now uh with the because there's a, a new one coming out called ollie ollie world um that looks awesome justin i think you'd really enjoy the the look of the game it looks like a cel-shaded like cartoon Sweet. come to life almost if you took like 
Adventure Time and then turned it into a skateboarding game. It looks really cool. So I'm um, really, really stoked f- for that game coming up, but I've been playing a lot of Ollie Ollie. Uh, I've been watching Modoc. Yeah, it's all right. Um, I'm continuing to play Resident Evil terrified um kevin you'll never play it i promise you uh it is awful and horrific um but i'm getting through because of all the wonderful people in my chat um of course i'm continuing to watch loki and star wars the bad batch which we have watch clubs out for right now so make sure you go listen to those if you haven't already uh and of course we all watch luca uh and so uh, we have our review both our spoiler free and our spoiler filled version of that out there right now um, I got back into playing some Pokemon Pinball on Game Boy Color. Uh, did you guys ever play the Pokemon Pinball? Kevin, I know you're a Pokemon guy. I'm not a pinball guy, though, so. Not a pinball guy. Especially not video game pinball. That just, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's the best. If I, could, if I could drop in a few quarters and play on an yeah. actual machine, I think I, there's just something that loses, that gets lost in that translation sure, for me. But you're still catching Pokemon in this one. The pinball is the Pokeball, right? That's so. kind of neat. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Justin, you ever play Pokemon Pinball? I I have played it on it's Game Boy Color, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I had it for a Game Boy Color. I played it so a few good. times. It was it was good. It was good. I, I enjoy the digital pinball games. I, I definitely yeah. there's a nostalgia, obviously. You know the old vibe <laughs> of of playing an actual pinball machine, but yeah, the the digital one with with catching the Pokemon it was it was interesting. But it's funny that you said vibe because the the game actually you put a battery inside the cartridge. It's got a little vibration thing in it. So it feels like you're anyways. Um, I also finished watching with my dad uh, Shadow and Bone. Uh, it's not great. Uh, don't watch it. It's not that good. <laughs> it's just it's on Netflix. It's that that one I was talking about in a previous uh, episode where it's just it's just very teen tween novel and yeah it was very intriguing at the beginning but it, it doesn't it doesn't work in the end. So for my first whatcha, uh, my actual whatcha, um, I watched the season five premiere of Rick and Morty. Uh, and I really, really enjoyed it. I think um, they made a really smart decision. I won't spoil anything, but they made a really smart decision to focus on Morty in the first episode. Um, and it, it felt, it's crazy that we're five seasons into this series and we can say things like, it feels like classic Rick and Morty. <laughs> like It's just, it's kind of cool that we're like now at a place where it feels like season two. And, and that's a really, really, really good thing. Um, I'm also stoked that they're seemingly recognizing Jessica as a main character now, kind of, um, which I, I won't get into any further on that one, but, um, I just, the way they, they play with time in this episode, um, and, and the way they write is just, it's next level. Like the world that they create in this first episode that Morty visits, it's, it's only going to be in this first episode, but it could have an entire series all to itself. Like that's how deep and like sort of sci-fi tropey the dialogue is. Um, and guys, the villain is great. Um, played by Dan Harmon. Um, he, he moves in a very specific way that is going to make you very uncomfortable. So try not to watch like too close to the screen. <laughs> it's just, it's very, uh, it's just a lot of uh, pelvic motion. Um, so <laughs> definitely check that out. But, uh, Kevin, I mean, did you, I, I, you and I were kind of the only ones stoked for this. I don't think Justin's watched it. And I, and I had a chance to watch something just before we sat down to record this and completely forgot that it was in my DVR waiting for me. I watched, <laughs> I watched the wrong half an hour show because I would have loved to talk about it with you. But I'm, yeah, you've worries. got me more excited than I was, even yeah, more excited. So I'm excited. Yeah. And if you if you <clears> don't <throat> have uh, like access to – like I, I foolishly bought this on iTunes because I, I bought the whole season – 
But um, but it's on YouTube. The first episode is all on YouTube uh, for free to watch, uh, which is super cool of That's Adult cool Swim to them, do yeah. that. So. Yeah, very neat. Uh, Kevin, let's hear from your next one, my friend. Uh, well, it's interesting that you say uh, that this newest episode of Rick and Morty feels like classic Rick and Morty, even yeah. though they're only at five seasons. But that might have a little bit to do with the fact that even though they only have five seasons, they've been around for eight years, right? Because right. of all those gaps. And so it is huge. Breaks. It does feel older or longer than just five years since we saw that older Rick and Morty. Um, but so a show I went back to or I went and watched for the first time uh, was because it kept popping up on my Netflix. And it was around about five years ago, maybe four years ago, took a long hiatus due to some personal issues with the lead actor and then has recently come back for a third uh season uh that's master of none starring um aziz ansari uh so i i'd never seen it um i I tried watching one episode wasn't in the right mood for it and never went back to it so i went back and finally gave it a chance and really really enjoyed those first two seasons um I, i think the writing is fantastic um you know it's not laugh out loud funny but it's it's real humor which I really, really appreciated. And then there are just some standalone episodes that don't even necessarily have the main cast in them, but are, yeah. there's one episode in particular where it just follows the lives of three random New Yorkers. So and it good. honestly might be one of my favorite episodes of TV I've ever seen. It was just yeah. such a lovely, simple story told so well. Um, I think, uh, you know, Aziz has some some real potential to be you know, a, a great writer and, and even director. Uh, I have to say, I could not finish the third season. It really? just, it was not my cup of tea. It was, you know, they obviously for time reasons had to sort of change, uh, you know, the, the focus of the show. Um, you know, some, a lot, most of the, the, the cast that you were, had become familiar with didn't return for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, it focuses on a whole new character. Well, not a new character, but the, the lead sort of changes and it's so slow and so uneventful. And in the second episode, the first five minutes are literally just watching somebody eat a burger in silence in their car. And I went, this is not the kind of pacing I like mm. in my entertainment. It just, it was, it was, it felt very artsy for the sake of being artsy. Yeah. And it, so they, they lost me on the third season. It didn't recapture the charm from those first two seasons. And I really wanted to see where those characters' stories went. So I found that a bit disappointing. It almost feels like what's the point of bringing this back under the Master of None label? It could have been something different. Just happened to be by the people who did Masters of None or Master and, of None. So and, and so you're saying Justin is going to love it then? That's what you're telling me. It might appreciate it, <laughs> but it, it took all the, the beautiful directing elements from those first two seasons and just went a little hard on them, a little heavy-handed. So, right, yeah, I wasn't thrilled by that. Yeah, Nina, Nina Waith and uh, is it Naomi Aki, I think, is, yes. is in it as well? Um, yeah, I honestly, I'm a huge fan of, of her character in the previous, uh, especially in the second season of that show, so... I, I was really looking forward. So that's interesting. I, I, I think the the big thing, just one thing I'll really quickly shout out, season two features probably the best relationship that I've ever seen on TV. Like it's the most I've ever been invested in a relationship on a television show. And that's like, we just talked about friends. Like I'm telling you this, uh, the, the definitely get out there and watch master of none season one and two. And, and, as Check long as you're okay three. with not getting closure, <laughs> you know. Sure, on, on, uh, but uh, but who knows? Maybe they go back at season four because I know a lot. Wasn't there something to do with? 
I think there was something to do with Aziz Ansari potentially not looking the greatest with uh, some oh. of the fallout that he had uh, with some controversy, right? Yes, and, yes. and so I think and that's I mean, kind he of... Sort of... He sort of cleared the air on that a little bit, yeah. you know? Um, but it, it is funny that uh, one a, a small subplot in one of the last two episodes of uh, the second season was about... Uh, you know, um, yeah. the, the the Me Too movement yeah. uh, involving one character. And then the allegations against disease came out kind of shortly after that. So I'm sure none of that looked well on him. So maybe he just wanted to separate when they came back from that sort of side of the character entirely. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, cool. I mean, I'm I'm still going to check it out because it artsy fartsy is still something that I, I really enjoy but uh it'll be interesting to see how that how that continues fartsy for sure <laughs> <laughs> awesome well yeah my uh my next whatcha is also on netflix uh it was actually a recent release comedy special bo burnham's inside i'm sure you guys yes. have uh, kevin have you checked it out i don't do musical comedy Okay, right. Musicals aren't yeah. your thing, right? Uh, <laughs> no, but I don't know. Some a guy s- singing just gibberish at a keyboard isn't like my style of comedy. It's not gibberish, Kevin. It's, it's, like, it's I'm in my room. Do, do, do. I'm in my room. Do, do, do. I don't know. Yeah, no, That's great honestly, for about ten seconds. Honestly, I could watch this, an hour and a half of it, dude. Wow. Like this, this. It's 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 labeled as a comedy special. It's more of a one man musical, which is funny, dark, intimate. Very random, very self-aware. It captures the comedic brilliance of, I guess, a millennial going through, I guess, an existential crisis. And and what's ironic about the whole situation, too, is that Bo Burnham took a hiatus from actually doing comedy because he was having his own anxiety. So this is yeah. it's it's kind of ironic this situation. He he agreed to do a special and then the pandemic hit and then he was kind of forced back into his anxiety. It was it's very it's very interesting. The brilliance really comes down though in the relatability of the series, the isolation uh, and how intense covid life is uh, on everyone's mental health. Um I can see this this piece potentially helping people feel less alone just by connecting and, and watching this and, and listening to some of the the, the songs. Um, it, it would provide a sense of connectivity between you know the viewer and and Bo Burnham, and I think that that's why it's it's really having a resonating effect on on so many people. Um, you know, we're doing this podcast right now, and I do my thing on Twitch. And there's a there's a song that he does where he where there's two there's two specific songs that he does. One of them where he like acts as someone on Twitch and just like just completely is just being a complete like like oh look at like oh my thoughts are so important and like oh I'm I'm such a big deal and I'm like that's literally me on Twitch. And then and then and then there's another one where he does a reaction video. Yeah. And then it goes further in and he starts reacting to himself, reacting to himself, reacting to himself, reacting reacting to himself yeah. and it's. Yeah. Dude, it's some of the comedy, like, again, Kevin, if you were stoked to watch this Rick and Morty premiere, like, a lot of this comedy is going to feel very much similar to you. And I, I wouldn't so much pose it to you as a musical as much as I would pose it as a comedy special. Yeah. Um, because it is it is very funny. It's very relatable. And it, it also is going to make you feel uncomfortable in, in some of the songs that he sings. There's yeah. one with a sock puppet that I'm not going to give away, but just, oh my gosh, that one is mind-blowing. Uh, you know, I, uh, I, mean, I, yeah. I saw the trailer on Netflix and it's about a minute yeah. and a half and he's singing a song and it, it's a catchy enough song and he does some cool stuff for one guy alone in a room with a flashlight and a disco ball and 
it's impressive, sure, it's, but it, I think I was like, there, I've seen enough. I have seen mm. all I need to see from yeah. that, I think. I, I think the fact, though, that the whole special takes place in one room seems like almost like a metaphor for his creative headspace. Like, I think that was a personal decision to really just isolate himself literally in that room. I love how it becomes more chaotic as the special goes on. There's just, it, it symbolizes this sort of. This, erratic and and chaotic creative process that he's having with cables spread out cameras and lights everywhere it's just it's just all over the place the music's outstanding um he he takes he, he takes upbeat synth style beats and merges them with otherwise depressing relatable yeah. and sometimes very truthful lyrics like very very truthful like yeah. to the point when i was doing something on my phone he was singing about what i was doing on my phone right like <laughs> yeah. I, you know what i mean yeah. like it's just yeah. it's it was it was very meta um if you haven't checked it out, Kev, I totally, I encourage you to do so. It's awesome. I, I think Sarah would probably love it. I think she'd appreciate the comedy out of it. It's, I think it's arguably the best piece of content to come out of the pandemic. Hands down. Five out of five white woman Instagram accounts out of five. That's the one you got to listen to. I was just going to say, listen to, listen to white women's Instagram. Dude, so fantastic. Um, I wholeheartedly agree with that review, Justin. Uh, another Netflix. We got a lot of Netflix stuff. You, you know, when we're when we're Yo, stuck in our hey, houses if, and we got to watch. You stuff. got you got Steven Spielberg flip flopping on Netflix. You know, like <laughs> right? clearly, we might as well get on board too. Um, Love, Death, and Robots season two. Nice. Uh, came out uh, since the last time we all got to sit down and chat. And so I, I actually uh, originally had my note from when I only watched up to episode three, but then I've I've completely seen the entire season. Um, overall, the season is not as strong as season one, um, but it really does start to show just how incredible like animation has gotten to the point where like it might as well just be real actors or, or maybe we'll not have real actors at some point. Um, there's an episode with Michael B. Jordan and a robot and it just is phenomenal and there's no dialogue throughout the entire episode but it's still just as gripping um and th there's a, an episode episode three actually kevin it stars nolan north who you know as nathan drake um and he actually plays an officer uh and the story is super original he's an officer who's responsible for protecting his people's way of life by controlling the population through the extermination of any children born within the underworld below him. So, like, super sci-fi, super, you know, uh, very scary, uh, and, and a pretty violent look at, uh, at this very imaginative world. But I'm telling you guys, if you've not checked out both seasons, you have to check them out on Netflix. They're a trip, and watch them on the most... Uh, the best TV that you have, the best quality TV. Get an OLED if you don't already have one, and watch watch Love, Death, and Robots on uh, on it because it's it's so so freaking good. Have you guys seen any of Love, I, Death, I've and saw, Robots? I've seen the trailer, and I'm actually very interested, uh, especially so just because I've been. You know, through doing the Watch Club for for the Bad Batch and and just refalling in love with a lot of animated sort of projects, so yeah. um, I think it's definitely something that I'm going to check out sooner than later. Yeah, and it's anthology. Yeah. It's it's anthology. It seems like it doesn't it matter. Seems like Black Mirror in an animated sort of you know capacity, yes. right? Like you know, For or sure. the Animatrix, I guess, is another very you would kind of relatable. combine both yeah. of them exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Very cool. It's cool. Sweet, Kevin. How about yourself? All right, my uh, final selection for today's Watcha um, is uh, a show that uh, just had part two premiere on Netflix. Um, it's called Lupin. 
starring Lupin, starring uh, Omar Sy as um, a mysterious man of many talents and jobs who's out to seek revenge for his father who was wrongfully committed of a crime he didn't commit. Um, And he bases his life, and the show is is based on uh, the stories of Arsène Lupin, who was a a gentleman thief created in 1905. Um, They were French stories, and Sarah actually read, um, you know, sort of graphic novels uh, inspired by these these original novels uh, when she was doing her French immersion schooling growing up. And so as soon as she saw that there was a show based on this character who she liked very much, uh, we, it was a, a must watch. I don't know how we missed it originally and then tuned in just in time for part two to come out. So it was, we've been getting lucky with shows like that where we haven't had to wait as long for uh, successive seasons to come out just because we're sort of stumbling upon them later. But I'm telling you, this is one of the best shows that uh, I've seen Netflix do um, just in terms of the quality. It's, it's, it's got this cinematic, almost Ocean's Eleven sort of vibe. It's very hip. It's very cool. Um, It's very, you know, he's very much like a a French Danny Ocean. Um, Yeah, just it's a really cool show with a cool French soundtrack. Uh, And yeah, lots of mystery, lots of whodunit aspects to it. Uh, Really compelling bad guy. We call him the fat French uh, Russell Crowe because the gentleman looks (laughs) a lot like an older Russell Crowe. Um, but yeah, we're really enjoying it. And the thing I like about it the most, uh, maybe not everyone's cup of tea is, uh, the subtitles. Okay. And so I'm forced to, you know, put the phone down and just fully immerse in it, which I don't always do, you know, especially with lighter stuff, as long as I can hear what's going on, I can sort of maybe tune out and check the score of the ball game or something. But with this (laughs) one, I'd be completely like, whereas Sarah, you know, could be in another room and understand what they're all saying, you know, with her French background. But uh, for me, awesome. it's I'm very immersed in it. And that's always nice. You know, I don't do that as often with TV shows as I probably should. So this one this one got me gripped. But I, I would recommend that to anybody who's looking for fun and intrigue and, and espionage. It's really cool. Sweet. And Kevin, how long how long would you say it took you? before the subtitles started to melt away. Cause you know, oftentimes with subbed, you know, content, it, it, for me, sometimes it takes me too long and that kind of uh, pushes right. me away from the show. Yeah. I can totally, totally understand and appreciate that for whatever reason. It's never bothered me that much. Yeah. Um, so, but I, honestly, just because of how cool and hip, especially the first episode, the story they tell there to sort of set up the character is so fun and intriguing and interesting. You're more focused on what's going on that the dialogue, you won't even be focused so much on the dialogue that I think you'll instantly immerse yourself into it just because of how cool everything that's happening on, on the screen is it's it, it, the first episode itself is like you take the plot of an oceans 11 movie and condense it into just one episode of a, a five or six part TV series. It's, it's really, really cool in that regard. Very cool. Awesome. Um, Sweet. Okay. Justin, you're next. Watch you, my friend. Okay. My last one, my last top five out of five. Um, this is one that uh, you guys have both been telling me on different occasions that I need to check out, and I finally got oh. around to doing so. Uh, so I started and finished in less than half a day, probably just actually just over half a day. My apologies, not half, less than, uh, is Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. Yeah. Nice. About yeah. time. Yeah. We finally got- roped him in. <laughs> no, you guys are absolutely right. Ted Lasso is a feel-good story. Um, the, what's amazing for me was how they situated the kind-hearted Ted 
uh, with a cast of people who didn't believe in themselves, didn't believe in him, uh, didn't have much ambitions at all, and they all wanted Ted to fail. They all in some way wanted to see yeah. Ted fail. Yet he charmed everyone and taught each person a valuable lesson beyond just you know him coaching these players. And in the end, everyone sees that Ted is a good guy with great intentions, and because of his belief, everyone believes. And I think that that's that was like such a huge takeaway for me of how how much of a, a feel good uh, this was. Jason Sudeikis deserved that globe. Fantastic, deserved yeah. it a hundred percent. Yeah, and and you guys are right. Like the cast really does like I, I loved Rebecca I loved seeing yeah. her sort of her her personal growth and her kind of overcome this this sort of you know being in the spotlight and how she did so coach beard <laughs> was was coach awesome beard is the best yeah coach and he's a writer and he's one of the writers which I think is just it's so good like him and Zedekis are both uh, are are very connected with with their characters and I think that comes that extends in you know from their writing um the relationship triangle between Jamie Keeley and Roy uh and, and Juno Temple I, I love seeing her in this and, and seeing her and Rebecca you know uh sorry seeing Keeley and Rebecca kind of uh, have a friendship through this process like odd, like just, odd friendship yeah, yeah you're just following all these little stories and you know I think the highlight is is Nathan Right, like Nathan for me, yeah. Nick played by Nick Muhammad, so good. Uh, outstanding moments on the show. Two shout outs for him on in this show when he had to list the problems with the team and he had to like be yeah. brutally honest. <laughs> He's like burning them and how yeah and how yeah he how, that he earned everyone's respect in that. And then when they promoted him and he was he got the and like I honestly felt so happy for the guy. He was it was so yeah. great. Um goes without sh- saying I, I love this show. It literally embodies what it means to be a feel good show. Uh even though it's surrounded by some otherwise traditional English humor, which isn't afraid of a few fucks here and there. I give this show <laughs> five out of five wankas. Nice. All right. Very cool. Uh, I don't know if I want to watch five out of five uh, wankas, Uh, but uh, no, man. Like, and I think the biggest thing that I love about the Ted character, Justin, is he's not he's not from a perfect situation. No, exactly. You know what I mean? He's he's living through a situation that I won't spoil here, but of his own, Uh, and he's going through his own dramas, and it's just Jason Sudeikis is just unreal, and it's just it's such a nice surprise to see him in that role. I think I think what it goes to show is that like uh, like you said Nate is but, is that a character that has such positivity or has such a symbol of positivity in the in the show he's going through his own problems so how for him to be so positive and to stay optimistic while he's also dealing with his own sort of personal drama as you as you said I think that 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 kind of just highlights how real of a character he's not just this sort of happy-go-lucky he has his own his own uh tensions in his life so uh yeah it, this show is fantastic and i cannot wait for season two it's like very I'm cool stoked and you don't it. have to wait nearly as long as uh, no, the rest no. of us have no, so I good know. On you. yeah exactly i'm very stoked i'm very stoked i can't wait um i know my parents are just like they they're freaking out they can't wait they're so excited Shopping. and it's the first time that i've ever watched a show that says some of those words that you mentioned earlier, Justin, and been able to watch it with my parents, and they were totally cool about it. So, um, my my final whatcha, um, I did I did forget two honorable mentions, um, but I'm gonna leave them for a future whatcha. Uh, so don't worry, I'll talk about Ratchet and Clank and Sweet Tooth at another time. But uh, <laughs> I did want to talk about my final whatcha, which is 
MythQuest. Uh, guys, listen, Kevin, I don't know what I have to do. I don't know what I have to do to get you on board for MythQuest, but I think, I think I'm going to just try really hard here, okay? I remember I'd mentioned that there was a character on the show named CW, and I had mentioned how I thought he was very not not likable at all. He was very uh, fantastical and very... He just kind of brought me out of the show. And I'd mentioned how they were probably going to do an episode where they were going to get me to really like his character, and damn it, they got me. Uh, they recently did a flashback episode, and... Just like the flashback episode in season one, it really kind of gives the main plot a chance to breathe. But I am telling you right now, if I'm not in love with with CW, uh, they the younger version of him played by Big Head uh, from uh, from from Silicon Valley, Josh Brenner, uh, who does such a wonderful job at just getting you on board with that character and getting you to understand where he's coming from. And the writing on the show is just phenomenal. I I think I'm loving it more with every episode and. And the recent one, the, the last latest episode that's come out is, is really emotional. Um, and I was surprised at how emotional I was getting, even though I'd only been with these characters for less than two seasons. So I'm going to tell you right now, it's not The Office. It's not Silicon Valley. It's not trying to be those. And, and, and that's okay. I thought you were going to um, say, I think, it's not very good. Uh, no. no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying. I'm saying if you're going into the show expecting a comedy, try changing your mindset. Try changing your mindset to something a little more dramatic, and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised if you stick with it. I really, really, really do, and if you can do that, I will watch any wrestling documentary you want me to, uh, and I will absolutely, we'll make that trade, and we can come back and, and talk about that at a later time. You down? Uh, you gonna? Can we? We'll, come on? We'll, we'll see. I, that, that's, a, right. that's a tantalizing offer. <laughs> we'll, we'll be in talks we'll be in talks um well that is a wrap we hope you enjoyed this week's episode and if you did make sure to subscribe to us wherever you like to listen to podcasts because we are geek centric and you can be too which means you can also check us out on youtube at youtube.com slash geek follow us on twitter at geek yt and follow us on instagram at we are geek centric uh speaking of the youtube we are uh you know a little ways away yet uh, on from in uh, you know October, uh, but we do have Fan Expo coming up. I did manage to get some tickets. We're gonna try and see if I can pull Justin and Kevin by their ears to at least attend for for one day. Uh, and so we're hoping to have maybe some some con content uh, available for all of you wonderful people at that time. Um, but listen, we also have more than the standard episodes of the Geek Centric Podcast. We also have our latest review out now, as I mentioned, for Luca and Loki, both are spoiler-free and spoiler-filled. And we also have our Watch Club series, two of them right now, for Loki and Star Wars The Bad Batch, where we break down and go through everything, uh, every single moment, kind of like a, a book club, but way better. So look forward to those episodes releasing weekly with even more on the way. Uh, and lastly, if you want to join me live on stream, you can catch me at twitch.tv slash NatePlaysGames, uh, where I've been opening up the latest Pokemon TCG set, Chilling Rain. I've been doing giveaways. Um, there's this really great streamer game card called Marbles, which is just a really fun, fantastic way where everyone gets everyone in the chat gets a marble, and it goes down this sort of Rue Goldberg machine. And so you can win some vintage Pokemon cards right from my collection if you want to join in. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. And you might also catch me playing one of my additional watches that I mentioned at the end there, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, uh, which is just, it's, it's Kevin, I'm playing a Pixar movie, dude. It's a Pixar movie 
in front of me that I control. It literally is the most gorgeous thing that I've ever played. Uh, so come hang out, come on over, and uh, and I'm loving the little community that's kind of growing from that channel. So uh, we'd love to have you a part of that community, have you over there. Justin, Kevin, thank you so much for joining me for today's Whatcha Filled episode. And as we say, love ya. For just a little while longer, stay home safe, guys. Peace. <laughs>